sitting down to preach or record right here the lesson for this week on from the Proverbs on understanding temptation and desire. And I kid you not, a friend sends me a news clip of an executive who's just been sentenced to having 10 counts of child porn on his devices. And I said, why did you send this to me? And turns out he is a an acquaintance. We've spent time with him and his family. Our kids went to school together. Um, I think he's a believer. He's been to prayer meetings. Uh, we are driven by desire. We are driven by desire. We are creatures of desire. God made us that way. God made us that way. And what Satan wants to do, if we don't get, if we don't get our fill from the places that God made for us to be filled, from Him, from our spouses, He is the object of our desiring. If we don't get that, we're going to find it elsewhere. And that's what Satan wants for us. He wants us to get what we were made to get in God alone, to try to get it in other places. And and that's, I mean, because the human soul is hungry. We are ravenous creatures, and only God can fill the space of our soul, which is massive. It's God-shaped. And so we are going to be dissatisfied and ever chasing after that fill if we don't get it in God. And there are just so, so many people that are running around hungry and voraciously trying to feed on other things. And, and that's what temptation is, right? It's seeking, it's seeking that soul satisfaction, that ultimate soul satisfaction that only God can give in other things. And it'll literally destroy us. And I am reeling from this, but I couldn't not open up um, this lesson with that revelation. Um, you know, I, I think of the words of the American poet, Ralph, not Ralph Waldo Emerson, um, Thoreau. I think Thoreau is how we pronounce it, but Thoreau is, is how it's supposed to be pronounced. Um, who said something like, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. And gosh, if that news that I just encountered doesn't speak that in volumes. Um, St. Augustine said, Oh God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. They are restless. They were bouncing from one thing to the next, seeking satisfaction uh, until they find their rest in the living God. That is a fact and a truth that you can take to the bank. And I just want to ask you right here squarely, is that you? Are you listening to this? Are you a restless person? 
Are you seeking satisfaction in the things that the world has to offer? It might be relationships. It might be pornography, which, of course, isn't relationships at all. It's just this horrible attempted substitute. But it's, it's because of this ravening hunger inside of us. I mean, ultimately, gosh, we are not made for no. So many people think of religion and even Christianity as a, a series of no's. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's not that. You know, the no's in the Ten Commandments are at the back end. They are, they are ways to, to love, to circumscribe our desires so that we can love and we can say yes to our neighbor in love. And ultimately, they flow from saying, from being loved by and loving God. This God, this one God who created us for himself, he rescues his people out of the iron furnace of slavery in Egypt. And he starts off these commands about, here's how to live life well in this broken world as my people. To be a light on a hill, here's how to do it. And he gives them these ten commandments. But he starts off with a story. He starts off by saying, I am the God who saved you who came down here and rescued you with no help from you because of my great love for you. I rescued you out of the iron furnace. I parted an ocean for you to walk through. And I am tending to you here in this desert and you are my people and I love you and I'm fierce and I have made you for this fierce love and nothing else will satisfy you. And in light of that, live this way. Do these things. Obey me. Trust me. And the first commands are, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, love me fiercely with all that you are. That's, that's the first and greatest command, and everything flows from that. So if we put the focus on temptations and just trying to avoid them, we are screwed. We are missing everything. We have to understand that our temptations come from a place of deep desire because we are made by God to be desiring creatures. God made sex. It's his idea. He is a passionate God. Uh, he is a God of love who seeks loving people. You know, I think of, uh, wow, I'm still just so focused on this news. Uh, there's so many things that come to mind. One of them is Jesus, who is in the house of a very religious person, and this tramp comes in, this immoral, this notoriously immoral woman comes in and just makes this display of her affection. It's so embarrassing. Everybody's embarrassed but Jesus. All over, she's just, she's crying. She's literally, you know, it, in the ancient Near East, you would sit with your feet outward because feet are dirty. Um, our feet are dirty, but their feet were super dirty. Dusty roads, sandals. Your feet are out from the table and you're lying sort of on one arm and eating with the other, with a hand at the table. And she comes and just crumples by his feet and starts weeping and wetting his feet with her tears. And she pours this fragrant ointment on his feet. And, well, I might be getting my... Um, my episode's mixed up, but she either washes his feet with her tears in water or, or pours a fragrance over them and takes her hair. Not a towel. It'd be embarrassing enough with a towel in the middle of a meal, crying over him, crying over his feet amidst all these buttoned-up religious people. 
and his and his disciples, all these men, and she's the only, presumably the only woman in there, unless there are other women serving. But she she takes her hair down, which again, I, this, the point of this is not to get into this. The point of this understanding temptation and desires message is is not to get into this story, but she lets her hair down amidst all these men, this immoral woman, and that's a, a sign of intimacy. You're only supposed to do that with your husband, and she. There's a sense in which she's saying that she wants, I mean, she's treating Christ as her husband, which is exactly right. It's this amazingly intimate display of affection and surrender and vulnerability. She lets her hair down and wipes his feet, his feet with her hair. And he just says to his host, who's thinking, if this man was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him, and he would send her away. He'd send her packing. Of course, Jesus doesn't do that because he knows exactly what kind of woman it is, and he's receiving her, her, her display of affection and her love because he's the rightful recipient of it. She's the only one in the room that's doing the right thing. And... I mean, this is the kind of stuff we're made for. And what does Jesus say? He says, Simon, I have a story to tell you. You know, and he talks about how there were two, there were two debtors and one owed a moneylender 50 bucks and the other 500 and the moneylender forgave them both. Which one do you think Simon loved, loved the, uh, the moneylender more? And then he says, I suppose the one who was forgiven the greater debt. And he said, that's right, Simon. This woman came in here. You, you didn't, you didn't greet me. You didn't wash, offer to have my feet washed. You didn't anoint my head. She has, you didn't give me a kiss, which is customary. You know, it's a equivalent of, you know, a handshake and a hug when somebody walks in the door. So glad to see you, etc. Could I get you a drink? None of that. He probably have him, has him in his house to test him. I don't know. But he says, this woman, not only has she greeted me, she's come in and, and, uh, She's taken the risk of being mocked and derided and scorned and judged by all of us, by all of you. And she has cried over my feet and wet my feet, washed my feet with her hair and her tears. Therefore, her sins, which are many, right here, he understands who she is, are forgiven because he who is forgiven much loves much. This lady, somehow, it's always the women that are getting this thing, man. Can we men just get a clue here? The women are getting who Jesus is. She gets somehow that he is deserving of this, that he is able to forgive and that he has forgiven her, that he's the only way that she's going to be made new and cleansed and given a worth that can't be taken away. And she just, she just, absolutely uh, melts into a pool of saline tears in gratitude at his feet. And he says, he who is forgiven much loves much. And he who is forgiven little loves little. And Simon, you think you haven't been forgiven very much. But you're wrong. You're wrong. We all need... Um, we all needed this infinite amount of forgiveness and Christ came to bring it and to bring us into the love of God. And so, you know, I haven't even gotten into what the Proverbs have to say about temptation and desire, but I just want you to get that we, we, are made, we are desiring creatures. 
And the temptation is to get our desires met in ways uh, that won't meet them and that are not met in the living God for whom we're made. And so um, they have all thing, all sorts of things to say, the Proverbs do, about the the wicked chasing after desire, or being chased, I should say, after desire, uh, but not really ever getting it. And it uh, and then the the righteous being fulfilled in his desires. Uh, so what, so Proverbs ten twenty four says, with the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. There's a satisfaction and a fulfillment in uh, in the righteous. He because he's running after something that will satisfy him, the living God. Um, the wicked is a haunted soul. The wicked is running. Uh, he's being pursued. He's running after things that he won't ever be able to reach. And he's being hunted and haunted. But by contrast, the godly in the Proverbs, is he's drawn. Um, notice how it says the desire. Again, this is Proverbs 10.24. What the wicked dreads will come upon him. He's hunted. It's like, it's like a, an, he, there's an animal of prey that's pursuing him and it will come upon him. But the desire of the righteous, what will be granted, uh, it will be given to him. It's like he's being drawn and there's, there's something greater that's going to grant him his heart's desire, even though he has to perhaps wait for it at the right time. The, the righteous understand that desires aren't instantly granted. They have to be waited for, um, pursued in the right way. Um, there's a patience, there's a patience, patience and a waiting in the righteous. The wicked seek to hold, to grab a hold of their desires and to have them instantly satisfied. Um, Jesus, right, in Hebrews, is it Hebrews 12, says, for the joy set before him, right? It was in front of him. He had to go through hell, literally, to get to it. But for the joy set before him, you won't ever know what motivated Jesus. It's right here. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. And great was the shame of the cross. It was it was this thing that he was longing after and looking toward, this uh, making the world right again, this reclaiming of his own, the lost, bringing the lost back to him and and making a people for himself and, and ultimately a bride for himself, a bride to wed as the, the great bridegroom. I mean, the whole point of history is the father is, is making... For his son, a bride that will uh, that will unite with him in a love that we were made for. It's a love that will that be a consummation of all of our deepest desires. And so religion isn't about uh, just avoiding temptation. It's not about that. Temptation is misdirected desire. It's about um, having our desires satisfied in a living God, and then having lesser desires satisfied as we are satisfied in God having lesser desires in their rightful places and desired in the right way at the right time. Fulfilled, I should say. Um, Psalm 27.4, One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now notice this language. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. How sumptuous is that language? And to inquire in his temple. That's what we're made for. We become like what we look at, what we gaze on. And David was a... He was gazer upon the living God. Um, think about those wonderful words of the psalmist in Psalm 73 at the end of Psalm 73 where he says, he, he says, whom have I in heaven or on earth uh, but you? And there is none 
There is none on earth that I desire besides you. Um, let me let me read again from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, um, a bit of the context before the bit that I, that I quoted. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Right? Looking to Jesus. He's the object of our gaze. This perfect word of God, he's the perfect expression of who God is and how much God loves us and how much God has done to, to redeem us, to clean us, to pay for our sins, to remove our guilt from us, to make us beautiful, to make us his children. Not through the, any good we've done, through the good that Jesus has done, right? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, here it is, who for the joy that was set before him. So we gaze at Jesus. He was gazing uh, at the prize that, that he would gain through his life and death and resurrection, right? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The righteous is driven by desire. Does this describe you? Are you driven by the right kind of desire? Do you understand that beneath the deep no is a deeper yes? That all promises, Paul says this in Corinthians, are yes and amen in Christ. Right? The, the, the no is only a temporary no for a greater and eternal yes. We have to understand that. A people of delayed gratification. This is the Christian. We are driven as righteous people by desire. We, we are voraciously hungry creatures. Does this describe you? Does it describe your understanding of the Christian life? Or is your understanding of the Christian life more of a set of rules and regulations? You're going to be a miserable, uh, frustrated person who is going to be charged with 10 counts of porn or worse. You are going to try to get those needs met. And it's not going to be pretty for you. It's going to burn your life down. Okay. James Smith, James K.A. Smith, you are what you love. Again, another way of sort of saying we become like what we worship or we become like what we gaze at, what we set our affections on, what we fixate on. We become like those things. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's come for us. He's made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they rest in him. One last proverb, Proverbs thirteen nineteen. A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, right? God made us for fulfilled desire, right? Next, next half of the verse. A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. You know, that's an interesting verse, and there's we're not going to unpack it fully. We don't have time, but or the capacity. But there is a time for fulfillment, and there is, there are things that. God has made to satisfy us, namely himself. You know, a husband should be satisfied with his wife and vice versa, um, and his wife alone. And uh, there's a satisfaction that a child should have in the praise of his parents and, 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 and in receiving um, rewards for schoolwork well done and so on and so forth. They're appropriate, and C.S. Lewis talks about this, which I'll probably close with, in The Weight of Glory, which is a sermon he preached in uh, the early 1940s when the Second World War was raging and Hitler was pounding London with bombs. At this time of darkness, he preached, he preached an amazing sermon on desire. 
but it's desire that looks ahead to the glory that we're, that's coming, that we're made for. But we live currently in the Shadowlands, right? Um, but a desire fulfilled to speak to the soul, but to turn away from evils and abomination to fools. I mean, seeking satisfaction in the wrong things, seeking it at the wrong time, not able to turn away from these lesser things and to, to look to the living God. So there's, there's desire frustrated with the wicked. There's desire fulfilled the righteous. And knowing that and understanding that, that we're creatures of desire made to have our desires fulfilled by God uh, is, is what's going to help us to avoid temptation. Again, how did Jesus avoid temptation in the wilderness? Well, one, one, one answer we can give is that he was, again, Hebrews 12, he was able to avoid temptation because he was, he was willing to take the long route to satisfaction, not the shortcut of bowing down to Satan to get the kingdoms of the earth that were temporarily in Satan's keeping. No. Jesus went the long route. He went the hard route, the route of suffering and rejection, the route of the cross, the route of obedience to the Father, the route of humiliation and humbling and the cross, the route of love. And now he, he has all the power, all the authority, all the glory, and rightfully so. And he's bringing us into that. It's our inheritance now too by faith in him. Delay gratification, my friends. Delay gratification. <clears throat> so, but how do I want to close this? I want to close it by... Um, by, by what, like I said, closing with C.S. Lewis, you know, again, yes, I wanted to take you to Jesus. He's the one who takes us into the heart of God and brings us into fulfillment of our desires. He is that fulfillment and he, he we are able to have our desires fulfilled because the door was shut in his face again, to use some sort of Lewisian C.S. Lewis language. The door was slammed in his face. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he threw up prayers to his father and the father turned away because he became our sin and God the father can't look on sin and, and, he, and he endured the punishment we deserve by a just God who has to hate sin and evil and must expunge it. He must ultimately punish it and do away with it because he's going to make and remake a creation where evil cannot reside. So we can't be in that creation unless something changes in us and unless our sin and rebellion is paid for, unless restitution is made. Jesus made that restitution on the cross and the doors slammed in his face and the skies became iron as his prayers bounced off uh, heaven as God shut, shut him out so that we could be brought in as temporarily... His desires were completely denied so that ours could be fulfilled. Lewis says, um, you know, God made, God made desire and he made us desiring creatures. And he is the satisfaction of our deepest desires and longings. And for this reason, 
I'm going to quote Lewis here on page one of the opening of his sermon, The Way to Glory. God finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We can think of church and Christianity as Mr. Magoo and who's that neighbor in the Simpsons, Bart Simpson, uh, Homer Simpson's neighbor. Um, you know, they're sort of khaki pants and um, milk toast sort of desires. No. Uh, Christianity is the worship of a God who brings us into the heart of desire, a God who made us desiring creatures and, and, and seeks to, to satisfy us. Um, so, so indeed, God finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, Lewis says, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, all these things that we seek to satisfy our desires with, right? Drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child. He says, in doing that, we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Christianity is the religion of pleasure, of gratification, of satisfaction, of longing fulfilled. Let me just close with a prayer by Tim Keller. Lord, I spend far I spend far more time asking for various things than in praise and adoration of your greatness. And I'm going to add this particularly of your greatness seen through the prism of our Savior Jesus Christ being brought into the fulfillment of our desires. Yes, the beginning of that fulfillment. It won't be our desires won't be constantly fulfilled until we see him face to face. Again, there's a waiting there's a longing. There's an understanding that we are made for this great longing. That's it's, the fulfillment is coming. It is coming, right? We're going to be a patient and a longing people. Keller continues. No wonder then that I long for the things more than I long for you. How wonderful that the thing that most honors you will most transform me. I commit myself to giving you that glory every day. Um, and let me. I said I would close with a prayer. Let me let me maybe close with this from Keller. He says, how can we desire God above all other things? Plato, this is a bit of practicum, okay? Plato said, he said, actions flow from thinking, and Aristotle taught that our thinking is shaped by our actions. Proverbs says they're both right. Contemplate Proverbs 23, 17 through 18. And that, and that is... Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. And then verse 18, surely there's a future and your hope will not be cut off. Now, Keller takes that and he says, use the mind to think. What are the only things that finally last? There's a future. Uh, there is a future hope. Set the heart on God in prayer and worship until you don't just believe, but experience awe and wonder. And that's the part in the verse that says, be zealous and fear before him. And set the will on obedience. Don't envy or imitate sinners. These things will reorder your desires. Um, God finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. 
We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased.